Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Fantastic. Amen. Well, come on, if you want to tell your story, we'd love to have that. We've had a lot of people share, and it's been really fun hearing different folks share what God's doing in their lives as they're a part of our great church here. And uh, we really believe that God wants to minister in that way to many people. Hey, extroverted Joel. In many people's lives. And um, we really had a great journey with Joel and Catherine. Got to water baptize them and premarital counseling and marry them. And and now they're in this church. And Joel's on the incredible job playing the guitar today. And I taught him everything he knows on the guitar. So... But uh, just an honor to be here with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ryan, and uh, I, my wife and I get the honor of pastoring the church here with a great team. We had an amazing time last night. And I just feel in my heart today, as I'm sorry, I'm just going to, um, the Lord just put a, a word on my heart. I just feel like the Lord wanted me just to pray for uh, unbelief this morning. And I just felt as I stood in the back of the room, I just felt an overwhelming sense in my heart that there's some people in the room who are struggling with unbelief. Unbelief and that God can do the things that we talked about this morning as we sang about the power of God coming and that I, my miracle's coming and that God's going to break, break through. Some of us this morning have so been in that season for so long that we have such unbelief that I don't believe that God can do what you're saying God could do. And I want to pray for you right now. Would everyone just close your eyes? Holy Spirit, I pray for an outpouring of your presence right now, Lord. And I pray for those who in the room, Lord, who have hard hearts towards the idea of you coming to do something in their lives, God. And, Lord, it might be because, Lord, in the past, Lord, they've asked you to do that, Lord, and it hasn't happened. Or maybe they've been hurt in the past, God. Or maybe they've been in experiences, Father, where they've been uh, facing this challenge or this difficulty for so long that their belief has been sapped. And no longer can they believe not only in you, God, but also the idea of faith. Because, Lord, they've tried for so long and so hard. And this morning, I speak to the faith in their heart. I speak to the unbelief, God. The Lord, in fact, the Bible teaches us that unbelief is a sin. And, Lord, sometimes times we don't even know that we're doing it I do it myself God as every person here does but I pray for those in the room that are struggling in this area I break down that wall of unbelief in the name of Jesus Christ I speak to that doubt and I speak to that unbelief and I speak the name of Jesus Christ the the, Christ who overcame sin and death Jesus Christ who walked the earth and was crucified and was laid in a tomb for three days and conquered death and rose from the dead and now gives us the capacity and the ability and the power to endure and to overcome the challenges and the difficulties of our life by the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. So I speak to the unbelief and I say, come out of the grave, grave clothes come off and we speak to faith and would faith arise in your spirit as we preach the word of God today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to get right into it this morning. We've been in a series uh, called Who is God? And what we've been talking about is the idea that it's really easy in our culture, in our, in our, uh, in our world, to know a lot about God. And there's different types of gods, and there's different types of expressions of gods, and different religions that have different gods. But we were trying to understand who is this God that we serve, this Christian God. And we've been talking about the idea that it's easy to know a lot about God and never actually know God himself, to actually never have a relationship with this God whose name 
is Jesus. And so we've talked about Jehovah Jireh and how Jehovah Jireh is our provider and how he wants to come through and he's always on time and he wants to provide for your life, but he doesn't want to just provide for you. He wants your heart before he provides. He wants your heart before he provides for you. He wants to provide for you, but he mostly just wants your heart. We talked about Jehovah Rapha and how Jehovah Rapha comes in the moments of to a place in our life. And what he does is he comes and he wants to heal us. And if we respond, not only will he take us to a place of refreshing, but there'll be transformation in our lives. But also, if we don't respond, we will experience another expression of God called Jehovah Makkah. And Jehovah Makkah is when God comes and begins to work out these things in our lives. And he leads us back to a place where we experience Jehovah Rapha. And when we experience Jehovah Rapha, guess what? We experience Jehovah Jireh. And he provides something great in our lives. Last week, we had six of the best speakers on the planet speak on uh, Jehovah, Jehovah Shalom, and they did an amazing job. In fact, I might just not need to preach anymore. They can just do it. It was fantastic, and uh, that'll be online. I forgot to put it online uh, this week. My apologies, but it will be online soon, and they did an amazing job talking about, uh, about peace, the, the God of peace in your life, and this morning, we're going to talk about uh, the Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is our Banner, and here's the here's the context of where we're at. the The people of God left Egypt. They were now uh, they they were uh, uh, eradicated or saved from their oppressors, the Egyptians. And you probably have heard this story before. They went across the the Red Sea on dry ground, and they came out of the Red Sea on dry ground. And uh, the, the the waters came over their enemies, the Egyptians, and they were set free from their oppressor. And they built a memorial to God, and they went on a journey three days into the desert and they came to Mara where they experienced bitter waters and the bitter waters were made sweet and he took them to Elim and on this journey through the desert they've been journeying through the desert for several uh, several years at this point and they came to a moment where they could have gone into the promised land but unfortunately they had unbelief and so because of their unbelief they were not allowed to go into the promised land that God had for them because of their unbelief they were not allowed to experience the blessing and the life that God intended for them. Rather, because of their unbelief, they spent the next 38 years wandering around the desert. And here we come to our story where they had, they, in, in Exodus chapter 17, they came to a moment where they had no water in the middle of the desert. They had nothing. To, they, they were frustrated. They were angry. They started saying things like, God, where are you? God, why are you not helping me? God, why did you bring us into this desert? God, it was better in Egypt, in our old place, where we were slaves for 400 years. That's way better than being in this place right now, where there's no water, and there's no food, and we're hot, and this is a challenge, and we have no home, and now we have to spend another 38 years in this hell. What is going on, God? Where are you? In fact, I think we should just stone Moses because we have no water. Let's stone Moses and get ourselves a new leader who will lead us back to Egypt, back in the place of slavery. And so these people were very upset. And so Moses and Aaron went before the Lord and they said, okay, God, what do we do? And he says, I want you to take your staff, your wooden staff, and I want you to walk out to the center of the, with the elders and all the people there. Put, look, I want you to look at this rock and I want you to smack this rock with your, with your staff. And as he did that, fresh water came pouring out and and fed and watered the entire 1.5 million people received water in that moment. So here they are in that moment in Rephidim, where the place of rest, where they're experiencing an outpouring of water in their lives because of the faithfulness of God. 
And we come to our verse today, and we see something happens that hasn't happened yet in their journey. I, I would imagine at this point, we're probably maybe five years into their journey in the desert. I, I'm, I'm estimating, but most likely, you can fact check me later. But somewhere in there, they're in kind of the beginning half of their journey. And something happens that has not happened yet on their journey towards the promised land. It's in Exodus chapter 17. You can read it with me. It says, while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. And Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. And tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill, hold the staff of God in my hand. And so Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. And meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. There's all sorts of noises just going across. It's like, whoo, thank you, James. Let's give James a hand. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. And as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. And Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. And so Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. They stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. And so his hands held steady until sunset. And as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, while this, while, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi or Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. And he said this, they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne. So now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. This is the first time that the people of Israel had been attacked by an army. And this is the first time that God took it, uh, took, took it into, his, uh, into his mind that he was actually now against a nation. He was against a people. It says that, 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 that he would be at war against God's people from generation to generation to generation. What was it about these people, Amalek, that God wanted to push back? Why were these people, Amalek, so insistent on attacking the people of Israel? There is a lot of history here to this people group who were continually at war against God's people. We see it all throughout the Bible. If you Google or go on your Bible website and type in the Amalekites, you'll see that all throughout Scripture, they were constantly attacking the people of God. Hang with me as I lay some foundation here. Numbers 14, uh, 14, 45, the Amalekites attacked the Israelites and beat them down. Deuteronomy 26, 17, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear. Judges six, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Amalekites invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkey. When Saul became king, Saul was given a word from God to completely destroy the Amalekite nation, to, to completely destroy them altogether. And Saul made a big mistake. Saul did not do that. He went into battle with them, and look what the scripture says. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and, devo and devote to destruction all that 
they have. But then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag. So then Samuel comes along the prophet and says, you were supposed to destroy everybody. And so he went and killed King Agag. But what they didn't know is that descendants of Agag still lived. Several years later, David was also given this challenge when the Amalekites came in and, and they ransacked Ziklag. And in Ziklag, they came in and they stole all of the people of Israel's possessions. They took David's wives, two wives, hello. They had all their children. They took everything they owned and they came in and completely invaded David's life and invaded God's people and invaded God's nation and they stole everything. And it says that David went after them. And when he went after them, it says this, David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off of camels and fled. And David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Okay, so now 400 of them got away. And finally, finally in 1 Chronicles 4, under the, under the kingship of Hezekiah, the Simeonites went out, as this verse says, and led by all these people that I don't want to try to pronounce, invaded the hill country of Seir, and they killed the remaining Amalekites who had escaped, and they have lived there to this day. In this scripture, all of the Amalekites had been eradicated from the earth. They had all been completely destroyed and not one descendant had, had, had lived on the planet any longer. But the spirit of Amalek continued to live. The spirit went on because we hear a story that many of you have heard before of a man named Haman. A man named Haman rose to power in, in the land and Haman was a man who wanted people to bow down before him. And a man named Mordecai would not bow down before Haman because he worshipped God. And so Haman got it in his heart that he was going to destroy the entire Jewish race. We see the Amalekites all across our history of Jewish people trying to be destroyed from generation to generation, to generation, to generation, the Amalekites have been trying to stop the very purposes of God. Who is this guy? Okay, well, the, the Amalek was the grandson of Esau. For those of you who don't know who Esau is, Esau was a man who was born as a twin, Esau and Jacob. And if you remember in your, in your Bible Sunday class, we had Abraham, and then we have Isaac. Isaac gave birth to twins, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the firstborn, and he deserved to be the next descendant line of the people of Israel. But God made a change. He said, no, I want Jacob, Jacob to be the one who's going to lead my people. So now Esau was the older brother, but he had to serve his younger brother. So for all of their lives, Esau hated Jacob. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. Esau hated Israel. Esau was jealous of Israel. Esau hated the fact that, that Israel had his birthright. Esau hated the fact that Israel had his blessing. Esau hated the fact that Israel was God's chosen person and God's chosen nation. Esau continually hated everything that Jacob did, everything that Israel did, in fact, so much so that he wanted to kill Jacob. So we see in the scripture in Malachi, in the verse Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, God is saying, yet I love Jacob, but Esau, I have hated. That word hated there isn't our word hated. That word hated there actually in the Hebrew actually means that he, he won't give his privilege and his favor and his blessing to this people. 
Now, I'm laying a foundation here. I know this is like Bible class. Don't worry. But we're going to go somewhere. But I have to lay a foundation that the very people that went against the God's people in this story was a, a people that had a history of putting their fist up against the throne of God. And after all of these individuals were eradicated from the planet, the spirit of Amalek continued to live. In verse 17, 16, look what it says. They've raised their fist against the Lord's throne. So now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. This people, this spirit lifts its hand up against the very purposes in the throne of God. The, this spirit tries to stop the plans of God. This spirit tries to stop the very purposes and plans and calling of God. This spirit tries to oppose and stand against and stop the very promises, the very purposes, the very throne, the very, the very history, anything that is involved with God's kingdom or God's way. This spirit tries to stand against those purposes of anything that relates to God. See, that same spirit brings over to our day today and our life today, we recognize that back when Abraham was about to crucify his son Isaac, Isaac was a seed carrier of Jesus. And the devil doesn't know everything. Only God does. And so the devil was there that day when Abraham was about to kill his son Isaac. He was there that day and he was rejoicing because he knew that if Isaac was to be destroyed, Jesus would not come and he would not come to the earth and he would not die for our sins and he would not uh, conquer death and open up access to heaven. See, Satan knew that if he could just get the seed line of Jesus to be destroyed, then Jesus would never be able to come to the earth. But when Isaac was saved... Satan was really ticked. And then Pharaoh, in the wickedness of his heart, what did he try to do with the firstborn of Israel? He tried to murder every firstborn child in Israel. Why? Because he knew that from one of those women, one of those women would be the great, great, great grandmother of Jesus himself. And this spirit of Amalek tries to stand against the seed line of Jesus. This same spirit of Amalek not only tried to stop Jesus, but when Jesus died and he rose on the third day, and now that he sits at the right hand, hand of the Father. Guess who the spirit of Amalek wants to stop now? He wants to stop the very seed of Jesus in your life. And that same spirit that started all the way back here in the Garden of Eden that stood against Adam and Eve has continued from generation to generation. And this was the first moment when the people of God experienced a demonic, a satanic spiritual attack. They came at them and there was an attack that happened and these people weren't ready for it. They said, what's going on? Why are we being attacked? It's because that spirit of Amalek to this day still tries to destroy God's people. And that's why you experience the temptation that you experience. That's why when you're having a good day, that cloud of discouragement comes over you and you start to self-talk your way into how you're a terrible person. You're a bad mom. You're a terrible brother. You're not very good at your job. You're not a very good person. You got all these things. You'll never be successful. You'll never make it in life. You'll never go farther. Hey, guess what? I'm going to afflict you with this and afflict you with that. Guess who that is? The spirit of Amalek. The spirit of Amalek in John chapter 10, 10 is the devil, is the one who comes always to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And when the people of God experienced this battle, they knew that they had to fight, but they didn't know how. 
Ephesians 6.13, where we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And this is what this story is all about. This story is actually all about Jesus. We actually see so many different types here when we read through this story, how we relate to, to this story in that our current life, the enemy comes in like a flood, but God, Jesus, is standing at the top of this hill, interceding on our behalf, fighting our battles on our behalf, praying for us on our behalf, because the spirit of Amalek, the enemy of your soul, he lifts his fist against the throne of God and wants to stop the very purposes of God in your life. And he will do anything through unbelief, through doubt, through fear, through shame, through discouragement, through the thoughts of suicide, through depression, through, through wanting to, 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 to just isolate yourself from people and not be a part of a church or not be in relationship with people. He gets your mind and he gets your heart. It's because he's trying to stop the very purposes of God in your life. He stands in opposition to you day after day after day after day after day. He fights and most often he wins. And it's because we don't understand our position. We don't understand the biblical viewpoint of our battle as followers of Jesus Christ. We don't understand the, as this battle we face, this, this marriage struggle you're facing, this financial challenge, this physical ailment, this temptation that you're up against, we don't understand. We don't have a biblical viewpoint of our battle realizing that Jesus Christ has already won the battle, that he stands on our behalf and is actually praying right now for you. So you see in the scripture... When the people were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out. Can you imagine this meeting, this like strategic meeting? They have their first battle kind of meeting in this tent. Moses has this really great idea. I got an idea, Joshua. How about you go into battle and I'm going to go have a prayer meeting? <laughs> Joshua's like, oh, why don't I go on the hill? <laughs> and here they are, and we look at these people. The odds were against Israel. They were tired, they were hungry, they were thirsty, they, they, were, they were doubting God. They didn't want to be in, on the journey any longer. Uh, in our terms, it would be, man, I don't even know if I want to be a Christian any longer. I don't want to serve God. I want to go back to my old life. It was much easier in my old life. I got all this temptation now, all these struggles now, all these things. What's going on? I thought as I became a, I entered this journey towards God, it was God easier. Well, not really, because the enemy now wants to stop you. Before, he didn't care about you. Before you were off his list. Now he's like, okay, this person's serious about carrying the seed line of Jesus and actually experiencing everything that God has for them. Okay, I got some stuff in store for this guy. These people, the odds were against them. The challenge was against them. They were weak. They were poor. They were doubting. They were fearful. They weren't warriors. They were just craftsmen. And he had to muster his troops. And this is where it connects to us this morning. This is where it all comes to our reality where we realize we aren't strong enough, we aren't smart enough, we fail too many times, we're 
sometimes so full of pride, sometimes we're so full of ourselves, sometimes we're full of unbelief, sometimes we just wonder, where are you, God? Sometimes we don't want to do this anymore. Sometimes you're like, God, this is just not as good as I thought it was going to be. Sometimes we're just lazy, sometimes we're just tired, sometimes we're hurt, sometimes we're broken, sometimes things just don't make sense. Sometimes we can't rationalize in our mind why there's so much suffering across the world and you say you're a good God. All these different deep theological things that haunt our thinking. Sometimes we are just weak and at odds, and that's when the enemy wants to come. And are you battling a temptation in your life? And Maybe it's you're plagued by a spirit of fear. Maybe your marriage is under attack. We have to have a biblical view of our battle. What the enemy wants to do is he wants to get our faith. Really interesting, if you look at the numerical value of the Hebrew letters, Amalek, it's actually 240 is the Hebrew uh, number for Amalek. Like, shockingly interesting. The same Hebrew word with the same numerical value is the word doubt. And see, what the enemy wants to do is the enemy wants to come, and Amalek, the the biggest thing that, that the devil can do is to get your faith. That is actually his only objective, is to get your faith. When the people of Israel were just about to go into the promised land in year two, as I mentioned earlier, you know what they saw in the promised land? They saw giants of, of Anak, and they saw the Amalekites. And Caleb and Joshua came back and said, okay, I know they're big, I know they're tall, I know it's scary, but we can surely do this. And a majority of the spies, 10 of the spies came back and said, oh no, we can't do it, guys. Uh Uh-uh, no, 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 we can't do it. And guess what happened? They spent 38 years walking around in the desert because the spirit of Amalek got their faith. Actually, it's interesting, if you come over to the New Testament, we see that Jesus actually had this moment with Peter in Luke chapter 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your what? Faith may not fail. That word sift actually means to inwardly agitate or to frustrate to the point of overthrowing. So Satan came to Jesus and said, listen, I want Peter. And he said, Peter, Satan came and asked for your faith. But guess what? I'm going to pray for you. Look at this. When you turn back, when you return, implying that Peter's going to fall. When you come back from this moment of failure in your faith, when you go through a season of doubt, when the enemy comes in like a flood, I want you to know something. The Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. When you have doubt in your life and fear in your life, When the enemy comes in like a flood and he's trying to bring fear and doubt and shame and discouragement, when he's trying to attack your mind and that spirit comes in, yes, you might falter, yes, you might stumble, but be sure Jesus is praying for your faith. Because if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we have one who sits at the right hand of the Father, as the scripture says, and he intercedes on your behalf. Right now. 
And you look at your battle and you say, we can't go in. He says, I know, you're faltering in your faith. I know, that depression, it's big. I know, that marriage, it's huge. The problems, I get it. I know that issue with the church where that thing happened, that person, I get it. It feels large, but guess what? Your faith might falter, but when the spirit of the, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up the Jehovah Nisi banner over your situation and over your life and your faith will be resurrected again. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, is our banner. Now, let's just bring this to a, a, a nice, beautiful landing. Exodus 1710. Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Look at this. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of the nearby hill. Moses had his wooden staff and he climbed up the top of the hill. And what did Moses do? He lifted this wooden staff. This is a type of Christ. Moses didn't understand fully the, the realities of what he was doing at this moment. When 2,000 years later, another man named Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi, or we know him as Jesus climbed up Golgotha with a rod on his back and he was lifted high and he shed his blood. Nails were driven through his arms and his hands and his feet and he was crucified. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been given the power over Amalek. We stand because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Moses climbed and he lifted that staff up as a prophetic picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jehovah Nisi, you have to come under the banner of the blood of Jesus Christ to understand my position in Christ is if I can come under his blood and have faith knowing that no matter what I face, there is power in the cross of Jesus Christ. There is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ can heal a multitude of sin. The blood of Jesus Christ can heal our physical bodies. The blood of Jesus Christ can, can heal our mental minds and our areas of our minds that are broken. If we can come under Jeho the banner of Je Jehovah Nisi and the blood of Jesus Christ, it will transform your life forever. You gotta get position yourself there. You can't stand outside of the banner. You gotta get under the banner, folks. And look what else happened in the scripture. Look at this in verse 11. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage, praise the Lord. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. Are you ready? As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Moses lifts up the staff which represents the cross and blood of Jesus. And the weight of that sin and the weight of that battle was so heavy that Jesus Christ died. And he was buried for three days. And three days later, he rose from the dead and appeared to 500 people plus. 
historical account proven in history, not just a farce, it's true. It's actually in historical record that Jesus appeared to over 500 plus people throughout the land. And guess what happened next? Jesus ascended up into heaven. And guess what happened next? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Look at this, Hebrews chapter 10. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. Look at this, Romans 8. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. When he also give us everything else? And who dares accuse us from whom God has chosen for his own? No one. Look at this. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. Look at this. For Christ died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is what? Sitting. In the place of honor. At God's right hand doing what? Pleading for us. When Moses sat down. When he had the cross and he sat down on that stone, the people of God began to defeat the, destruction, the, the purposes and the plans of the evil one in their life. When Moses sat down, when Jesus sat down, he leaned forward in his chair and he says, Okay, all right, Father, I pray right now for Tyler. I pray right now, right now, I'm interceding on his behalf. He's facing something right now. But guess what? If he lifts that banner, if he understands it, if he can come under the blood of Jesus and recognize he comes under the blood of the intercession of Jesus Christ, the high priest, he will begin to see breakthrough in his life. He's going to start praying for you. He's going to start praying for you when you're facing something in your life and you think you're all alone. You think you're in your own corner. Guess what? Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father, praying your name, praying your situation. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He sees every single nuance and every single hardship and every single pain and depression and anxiety and fear. He feels it. He sees it. He prays about it. He talks about it. He's asking the Father, Father, will you do something here? And as he raises the banner over your life, you begin to push back the enemy. Let these words just bless your heart as I read a few more verses. Let them just stir your faith. Deuteronomy 20. When you go out to fight your enemies and you face horses and chariots and an army greater than your own, do not be afraid. The Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt is with you. When you prepare for battle, the priest must come forward to speak to the troops and he will say to them, listen to me, all you men of Israel, do not be afraid as you go out to fight your enemies today. Do not lose heart. Do not panic. Do not tremble before them, for the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies, and he will give you victory. David stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with a giant named Goliath, and David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, today, somebody say today, the Lord will conquer you. And I will kill you, and I'm going to cut your head off. And I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword or spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give it to us. 
Isaiah 59, 19, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Here's our last verse this morning and then we'll end. Our very last verse in our text this morning, verse 14 and 15. After the victory. Somebody say, after the victory. You know what that says to me? There's an after. The season you're in right now, there's an after. The hardship you're facing, there's an after. After the victory. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses. Write this down on a scroll as a what? A permanent reminder. Some of you in the room are facing stuff in your life that you think is too big. I'm here to tell you as a permanent reminder that you will win this battle. A permanent reminder that Jesus Christ went on a cross and died and rose on the third day and sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf and we come under the banner of Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi. Guess what? A permanent reminder that you will forever have victory in your life over depression. You will forever have victory of your life over sexual over anxiety. Forever have victory of your life over drugs, over pain, over physical ailment, over, over anxiety, over fear. You will have permanent victory in the name of Jesus Christ. And uh, Moses built an altar and he said, I'm going to name this as a permanent reminder. Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. You might be here today as we end our time together. You might be here today and facing a really, really challenging season of your life. I want you to know something that sometimes when you don't know what to pray for and you don't know what to do and you don't know how to act, our general response is to have doubt and begin to allow our heart to turn into rock instead of into a sponge or into an open well for God to pour into. We often turn into a rock and we say, God, this is too hard. And we get jagged and we get angry. I want to encourage you today. Let's just repent from that this morning and say, okay, God, I repent of my unbelief. Now, Father, Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi, I come under your blood. I come under your prayers. And I say, Father, will you fight my battles? Won't you stand with me this morning as we pray here? Just close your eyes for a moment. Every week we like to pray a couple things. I'm going to give an opportunity to do that this morning. You're here today, firstly, and you just say, Ryan, I have never accepted Jesus Christ into my life. I like this idea that, that someone's going to fight my battle. And I'd like to just start this journey. Now, starting a journey with Jesus is something that everyone, most people in this room have done. You're here today, you say, you're not right. I don't, I don't know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with him. Or I once did, and I've kind of just fallen away today. And I want to recommit my life to him. I want to give my life to him. Come on, with every eye closed across the room, please. Come on, if that's you today, I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. I just want to pray with you real quick. Just quickly place your hand in the air and put it back down. We're here today and you say, Ryan, I just want to accept Christ today. I want to come under the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to come under those prayers. You say, Ryan, that's me. Just go ahead and put your hand up real quick and put it back down. I won't embarrass you. Amen. Come on, thank the Lord. Okay, come on. Somebody lifted their hand this morning to accept Jesus Christ. Come on, church. Let's celebrate that. 
Okay, we're going to pray in just a minute. Just hang on for a second. If you're in the room today, you say, Ryan, I am just dealing with some unbelief in my life today. And I want to see that broken. I want to see that shattered in my life. Come on, church. If that's you this morning, be bold and just put your hand in the air. I want to pray for you today. Come on, I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't pull you forward. I just want to say a prayer. You say, Ryan, I am dealing with unbelief in my life today. Come on, in the name of Jesus Christ, let me pray for you. Father, I pray for the people in the room, God, who are experiencing unbelief. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ right now that the faith of God, that the hope of God would break through that area of hardness in their life and that, God, you would bring a fresh, new faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, Lord, about the brokenness and the pain and the, and the hurt, Lord, in their life, God. The areas of their heart and their mind, Father, where they're experiencing, Lord, pain and, and, and wondering what's happened and why am I still in this desert and why am I still in this season, oh God, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come. And as they come under your blood and as they come under your prayer, your intercession, I pray you would do something in their life in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, church, right now, we're going to say a prayer. We're all going to pray together as a church. And I want to pray real loud. Repeat after me, okay? In the name of Jesus, I come before you right now. I acknowledge I need you. I need a Savior. I repent of my sin. I turn from my ways. I want to follow you. Would you come into my life? Would you come and change my heart? and transform who I am. I commit my life to you. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What we're going to do this morning is my wife's going to come forward in a moment and just end our time, but we want to give a place for people to receive prayer. So Steph's going to come up here. She's just going to say a few things about as we end our time, but we're also going to have a prayer team up here to my right, and my, my right and my left. Here we go. And they're just going to play. And if you say, Ryan, I just want some prayer today. We've got a great people who want to pray with you today. So right after the end, as she says you're dismissed, you want prayer, you come right to the front. And we want to pray with you. We want to encourage, uh, be encouraged with you and believe that God's going to do something in your life. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.